Well, here we are for a new term. Welcome back to ZavChat. We're pretty excited and we've got a really fantastic guest to kick off the uh, second half of the year. We've been all over the place uh, in the last few weeks, but here we are, Bill, ready to go for the second half of 2023. And really looking forward to it, Shane. Uh, Nick, welcome back. Hopefully you're refreshed from uh, a few weeks away. It was a lovely break. Um, Certainly very refreshed and um, very excited for another term of ZavChat. We've got some very great guests coming up, so plenty to look forward to. It is, and if we get straight into it today, we're, um, we're going to prioritise our guest rather than uh, anything else around uh, gold or around the grounds, etc. Um, it's obviously, it's a really big welcome to Dr. Sean Gallagher, uh, Director of the Centre for the New Workforce. Uh, I will share with our listeners, um, Sean has just um, spent some time with the executive team in Sydney, or more particularly the executive team spent time with Sean in Sydney, uh, challenging us, you know, at the at the frontiers of um, the workforce and workplace, etc. And we'll probably unpack certain elements of that today. But Sean, welcome to Xavier, and uh, it's great having you here well, on site. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Uh, you know, you said you've been all over the place. I went to eleven schools, so nine public, one Catholic, and one private. So it's nice to be back here. That's great. It's really great having you with us. We're really looking forward to this chat. There's been a number of things we've done throughout the year. At Xavier, we were really trying to look over the horizon. Uh, AI has been one of those, but um, this conversation I think will be wonderful. So, Sean, you know, as the founder and, and the current director for the Centre for the New Workforce, maybe just explain a little bit of you know what it is that you do, um, you know, how you've developed um, that centre, and and um, you know what what the focus of your work is there. So, the centre started back in two thousand and eighteen. And when the opportunity came to me in the first instance, it was to set up a center on the future of skills. And while that's an important thing, and we're still talking about it today, I recognized that actually it's more about work. And work was a much more comprehensive and an interesting, uh, you know, challenging area of which skills is a subset. And I put a counter proposal, said, you know, could we call it the Center for the New Workforce? And that's where it took off. But the fundamental premise for it is understanding how digital technologies were transforming work. And back in 2018, that was how, you know, work was transforming processes and systems. We saw the, you know, digital platforms, for example, and the rise of the gig economy and, and gig work, for example. But then along comes COVID and COVID kind of, you know, put digital transformation on steroids and really accelerated things. But there were some really interesting and unique elements of COVID that didn't really relate to digital technologies. And as I'm sure we all know from not just working, but also from learning that uh, we found out that a lot of the things that we used to do in an office or on a campus actually are better done elsewhere. And so it changed our mindset around where work is, you know, if I'd asked anyone, what do you do, you know, before the COVID, what do you do when you go to the office? Well, that's where we go to do work. But now we know that that's not true. But of course, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. And most recently, that's generative AI, most recently led with chat GPT. You know, I 
I don't sort of buy into fads or hypes or whatever, but this is here to stay. You know, within one week of ChatGPT being released, you know, more than a million users. And in May alone, there were one billion unique users of ChatGPT globally. It is a profound wow. change. And the reason being is that it is changing how we work. It changes how we work what work is, when we do it, and who. So it really is a fundamental change in work. But the North Star through all of this for me is a human competitive advantage. Right from when the center started, you know, in terms of digital technology, through hybrid, through to generative AI, it's what is the role of the human in these increasingly sophisticated intelligent technologies. And we're keen to probably unpack that element um, as one of our priorities in this chat. Um, I really enjoyed some of our, our conversations that we've had around that that human competitive advantage. And in schools, we're all about the human being, certainly in Xavier. Um, and at times, I think in the past, we've sort of thought technology was just going to completely you know, revolutionise things and, and demean or demote um, the human. But for you, it's anything but that. Maybe just break this human competitive advantage open a little bit more and about you know, how we enhance meaningful connections living in a new age of AI, as you were talking of. Well, certainly, if you look at the way that um, general purpose technologies have taken off over time, be it the steam engine or electricity or computing, often those technologies, first up, they took a long time to pick on, right? You know, electricity took 30 years before we figured out actually what we can do with it. And in each of those circumstances, they started with disrupting low-value, low-skilled jobs with capital. Um, but this is completely different, right? Um, we don't know. We've never had a general purpose technology that's been so sophisticated in a cognitive sense that really is starting to challenge lawyer, doctors, engineers, architects, because it's able to work with formula and precedent and rules and has basically the entire internet of knowledge from which to draw on to provide answers. And that's, we don't know what the future looks like, um, but it does come back to what we are as a human in this context. And our human competitive advantage, I think, is probably three things. One, um, we understand meaning and context in a way that these technologies will never, you know, ChatGPT might give you 100 ideas, but it's really only the human that decides, actually, it's that one that's most important, right? But at the same time, we have an, a much, you know, it's innate in us, that deep understanding of who we are as humans and the relationships that we have. And the third thing that I like to say is that we're pattern-seeking, storytelling animals. And that's how we've survived, right from the day one we walked on the planet, Right seeing the behavior of wild animals or the change of seasons and understanding what that meant for our survival, but socializing that with our, you know, the people that we were living with. That's fundamentally who we are as humans. So we're able to connect disparate ideas and turn that into knowledge. And that is something that I still think is very uniquely human. Just before Nick maybe leads with one of his uh, questions, uh, probably from a real student perspective, um, we were having a chat around um, social skills and technical skills and how you've really noticed some some really key shifts here. And I guess I'm thinking of our students coming through Xavier and what they might um, traditionally have been expecting uh, as an outcome 
post their uh, post their schooling. Maybe unpack that a little bit more because I found that was a fascinating uh, conversation. I'm going to start off by saying that this is anathema, particularly here in a secondary institution, but also coming from a tertiary institution. I think we have an over-hyper focus on skills. Skills are important, but they have become, for whatever reason, the be-all and end-all. Um, and when you think of the improvement in digital technologies or any technology, effectively what we're doing is that the skill, if we only focus on the skills, eventually the human is always going to be competing with technology, right? So how do we look at what the humans can bring beyond just technical skills? And there's um, labor economists in the US did 40 years of research to show, and they looked at all jobs and they based it on what's the level of social skills, so human skills involved, or technical skills, so professional expertise, trade skills involved. And they looked at the demand of jobs over 40 years and the, and the salary and high demanding, high salary jobs were both measured in high social skills and high technical skills. The next level, which was also high in demand and high in salary, was high social but low technical. Jobs that were in high technical below social were actually becoming less in demand and paid less. So it really is that social skills which is distinguishing our ability to run, you know, uh, to work well, and, and, and also in terms of where the economy is heading. It's really fascinating stuff. This is our first Zav Chat for 2023. Dr. Sean Gallagher is our special guest. Nick, fire away. Yeah, so Sean, from a you know a young person's perspective, it can sort of be a bit daunting with all these new technologies coming out, and um, I guess there's sort of a bit of the unknown about whether there's going to be jobs for us young people to go into, because um, as you say, there's all, all these amazing technologies coming in, so... Um, what do you sort of see the workforce looking like in 20 years, for example? Will there be less um, less demand for people to be in jobs? So do you think you know the unemployment rate may go up or where do you sort of see that going with all these new technologies? I suppose I'm, I might be a short-term pessimist but a long-term optimist, if I can put it that way. I mean, if you look at the horse industry back in the turn of the 20th century, so early, early 1900s, there were about 150,000 people in, employed in the horse industry in the US. And then along comes a guy called Henry Ford. He makes the Model T car and you know production facilities. Well, within five years or so, all of those people in the horse industry, tenderers, drivers, poop scoopers, they all lost their jobs. And, but it wasn't immediately that those jobs were replaced. But over time, over the next 10, 20 years, millions of jobs were created in the motel industry, fast food industry, you know, domestic tourism that they had no idea was going to be the result of the production of the car. What I would, you know, in terms of, um, you know, for, for yourself and for your fellow students, Start experimenting with these tools. Begin to understand what you can get from it, what you learn from it and other ideas. And be connected. There is so much stuff out there online and, you know, not just here with your colleagues at Xavier, but well beyond that. Find, you know, your colleagues across the world. Understand what they're thinking, new ideas that they have and start to think 
what could that mean for me and begin to experiment further. That's really the key. It's really challenging stuff, Sean. Um, before Bill asks one final question, just picking up on what Nick was saying with your crystal ball out, are we talking here about a change as significant as Henry Ford or electricity, or are we talking, in your view, looking 20 years ahead, way beyond that? It's, it's hard to say with this crystal ball. It's going to be pretty profound, uh, only in the sense that these technologies are incredibly sophisticated. Um, but it's important not to think of it as software, right? Think of it as you're working with a simulated human coworker who is with you all the time. Now, you can write it, get it to write a great essay, ChatGPT, for example, but if you ask it to count how many words in that essay, it's going to get it wrong. So it, you can't think of it as software. Think of it as a, as a simulated human coworker or collaborator you've got with you. Um, it is going to change. Um, well, already, we, you know, it passes the law exam in the U.S. better than it, it does any other student. It's and it can diagnose cancer. It can uh, even now it can come up with new molecular structures for um, you know potentially um, fa- life-saving drugs that would have taken twenty or thirty years for normal you know pharmaceutical processes. Um, it's really incredibly powerful. But there's still going to be a future for doctors and lawyers and engineers, but the role is going to change. It's going to be much more human focused. It's going to be about the relationships that you have in those jobs. Ultimately, you know, um, if you get diagnosed with cancer, you want to be talking to a human who understands actually, well, you know, this might be the clinical treatment, but I also understand that, uh, you know, you, this is your life circumstance and these are the challenges you're facing with. And this is actually a protocol that's going to work for you in the context that you're in. So understanding and th- those social skills that we were talking about are incredibly important and are going to be even more so. Maybe just a final one, uh, Sean, and we've said this many a time that I could just take the next <laughs> half hour to keep chatting and asking you questions, but um, we're conscious of our time. Um, if you were speaking to a room of educators, uh, you know, and always a challenging assignment, but, um, you know, w- w- what's your message for them? You know, how, what do they need to be doing in the, in the current classroom to be preparing our students in really constructive ways for this future that we're, that we're speaking about? There's a little anecdote from, uh, I follow this podcast by, his name is Ethan Mollock. He's a, a professor at Wharton, uh, which is a business school at University of Pennsylvania. He stopped his class one time. He was giving a lecture and he stopped his class. He said, how come you guys never ask me questions anymore? And I said, well, why would we bother asking you? We asked ChatGPT afterwards and we get a much better answer. So learning is changing. And so when you have a bunch of humans in a physical space together, take advantage of that social connection, the, particularly the meaningful connections. What I often say is um, the best learning happens when you're in an ill-defined problem space where you don't know the answer. But everyone comes at it with their own ideas as to what it might be to converge on what we call mental models so that you come up with everyone is resonating around what the, th- the solution might be. I think learning is going to head more and more in that direction. There's no, it's not about, okay, we know the answer is going to be minus five or whatever it is, right? It's actually having 
ill-defined problems coming together, working together as humans, and um, you know, trying to figure out a, a, you know the solution together. I think that's going to be the most powerful form of learning, and on campus in a, in a physical space is the best place to do it. Bill, are you finding educators in any way intimidated by AI? And I'll ask the same of Sean as well. Uh, I think uh, at times, and maybe where it's the bu- bureaucrats taking over, there's a in- innate scepticism and we, we lurch really quickly to let's ban it. And I know that was one of the uh, approaches. Um, we've kept a really open mind to it. And, and more than that, this is why we've engaged with Sean. Mm. This is why we're having uh, some of the other conversations we are around AI. And there's some really exciting things that I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to share at a later point this year. Sure. But um, we, we've got to be able to embrace this, and that's our challenge at Xavier, that we want to be on the forefront of where we need to be, and that's going to require us to be reflective, and I don't think there's a, a better community to be part of as a, as a Jesuit school community to be able to be reflective and then to be courageous enough yeah. to be able to sort of grapple with these things and take ourselves forward into a into a bold new... Different. Nick, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's been great how the school's been really open-minded with it because for, for English, for example, we typed up chat GTP much ado about nothing essays as like exemplar essays and we sort of went through them as a class or individually and we picked out like the best bits from each of them um, and we you know there might have been parts from the essay that chat GTP provided that weren't that good but it provides a tool that we could really quickly analyze a heap of essays um, and sort of see what's good what's bad so it's been great how the school sort of you know let us use chat GTP um, you know for, as a really good learning resource. Hearing that answer, Sean, are you in any way surprised with what you're hearing from Nick and Bill? Yeah, I'm actually very heartened to hear that. You know, certainly, you know, one of the amazing stats that's coming out of the US is that, you know, 85% of US professionals are using ChatGPT at work. 70% of them haven't told their boss. So Mm. it's happening everywhere and students everywhere. You know, in some schools, they've said no to ChatGPT. Their students are already using it. Let's, it's, about bringing it out into the open, being transparent about it. What are the guardrails around how we use it? What are the guidelines? And let's set up experiments, right? Because it's not going to be perfect in in everything, and it's not going to also be perfect for every individual student. We need to encourage all students to practice and experiment with these tools in the way that they learn to help them learn better, but also to understand the power and flaws of these technologies as they become much more prevalent. And uh, Shane, I also reflect, uh, that's where you know, our ethics course, for example, in year 11, you know, grapples with these issues and um, that's the um, forefront, as, as a, again, as a Zaverian, that we need to be um, thoughtful, always sort of conscious of its implications, you know, able to um, ask reflective questions, uh, and, and our sense of, a sense of spirituality is going to be also enhanced and brought forward as we are able to sit back, grapple, and then really go after um, what is, um, you know, really grand, groundbreaking uh, developments. Bill, why don't we thank Sean, and uh, we've got one down for the second half of the year. Sean, it's been great uh, having, seeing you again. Uh, as I said, really enjoyed the time that we spent up in Sydney as well and challenging the executive team. It's um, uh, Many things will, will drip out over the uh, the course of time here, but um, that was a really wonderful experience and you've just pushed us again as, as our listeners and, and hopefully this is driving some really thoughtful conversations on the home front as much as in our school community. So we're really uh, grateful for your time. Thanks so much. And if I can leave just one golden rule with using these technologies, the human always makes the decision. 
That's a pretty good golden rule, Sean. Thank you. Now, just before we do finish and go to uh, Nick with uh, Around the Grounds, I do want to take the time to thank Michael Trappett, who puts these Zav chats together. He works really, really hard. He's an unsung hero behind the scenes. So to Michael and uh, his hardworking team of students, uh, a big, big thank you. But Nick, in finishing our first Zav chat for semester two, it's time to go... Around the grounds. Yes, heels, so around the grounds. Um, even though we were on holidays, there were a fair few Zavs out there um, doing amazing things over the break. So we had four boys go over to Timor Leste uh, on an immersion, um, and they had a great time over there. Um, we also had uh, four boys go up for the Jesuit debating carnival up in Sydney, um, and they did very well up there. We also had a few boys, um, Jack Dalton and Vigo Vicentini, um, play for Vic Mecho in um, the AFL team. So... Um, congrats to those boys and special congrats to Jack. He got MVP of Victoria Metro, so great job, Dalts. And we also had a music trip to Sydney um, and I heard great things about that. So um, it was a busy holiday period for a couple of boys, but certainly rewarding. So, That's yeah. great, Nick. And just as we start the second semester, it might be good for the uh, for the team of students to hear from the school captain. What's your message as we recommence for this uh, big second half of the year? Yes, Heels. Um, I'd say my message um, to the Year 12s, my message is we have about 16 weeks, including exams. So let's have a crack, let's go for it, and let's try do as best we can um, with our studies because it's go time. Um, and to the rest of the boys, just make the most of it. Um, continue to you know live every day to the max um, and give everything a crack um, in the Term 3 and 4 um, so you can look back at the end of the year and be like, yep, 2023, I'll give myself a tick for that. Oh, that's great, Nick. So thanks, Bill. Thanks, Nick. Uh, great start to the uh, second half of the year. And remembering, of course, Shane, the human makes the decision. So tune into Zav Chat because we've uh, <laughs> loved our first half year and we're really looking forward to the back end. Well said, Bill. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another Thank episode you. of Zav Chat. <laughs>